Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. So today we have a special guest for you guys, and we have Miss Paula, uh, Paula Anderson. She is the owner of Joyfully Embodied Therapy, and she's here today to kind of talk a little bit about victim mindset, goal setting, and just you know some other stuff that her and I have talked about openly, and we have Coach Luke here as well. So we're just going to kind of have a free and open discussion about some things with you know, depression and then with, you know, everybody in their New Year's resolution goals kind of coming to an end and people really struggling right now just in society in general. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. So Paula, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I love it. So tell us a, a little bit for the people who don't know who you are. And I know you've done a lot of new things recently with equine therapy and stuff. So tell everybody a, a little bit about kind of you and why you got into therapy and kind of like what you do with your company. Sure. Yes. So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I have a private practice here in Kentucky. I'm also licensed in the state of California because that's where I'm originally from. Mm -hmm. um, and I have a specialty in working with eating disorders, um, disordered eating, and I do a lot of issues with women on body image, self-esteem, things along those lines. But I also work with um, general population for depression, anxiety, pretty much the whole gamut of things that people are struggling with right now for mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know Gage because I've worked with Gage as a client and training and also done some presentations with him. Yeah. Um, and then just recently I started doing equine assisted psycho psychotherapy. So that's really therapy working with horses. So I work with horses where people are mounted and doing lessons with horses, therapeutic riding lessons, as well as ground based programs, working with trauma, depression, anxiety, things along those lines. That's a lot. Yes. <laughs> What's the like with equine? What is the like benefit to having like, do a lot of other animals do it or is it just horses? A lot of animals are used in therapy, but horses are especially therapeutic for people because horses are prey animals. So horses are really sensitive to humans as far as our body language, our emotions, they can pick up on our heartbeat, they can pick up on a lot of different things. So they're naturally great at empathizing and kind of like attuning to a person's emotional state. And yeah. so if a person's incongruent, like if they're super anxious, but they're trying to act calm around the horse, the horse will pick up on that and kind of give them that feedback. So it's really exciting and neat to see that makes sense. happen. Yeah. Pete, well, this is, I know this is about equine therapy, but I guess people, it, how am I gonna word this? Does that kind of help with emotional, like teaching people emotional control? Is that kind mm -hmm. of the point? Because exactly. you freak out, the horse freaks out? A hundred percent. So if you're with a horse and you're super anxious, the horse picks up on that anxiety and thinks, okay, there's something to be afraid about right now. So the horse is going to pick up on your body language. So it really helps people to become more self-aware and more in tune with their own emotional experience, but mm -hmm. then also how, how to regulate their emotions when they're around horses. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. It makes sense to do it here in Kentucky. I'm sure they do it yeah. other places, but it just it makes sense. Yes. Um, so, I mean, kind of on that topic with emotion, regulating emotions, mm -hmm. right? So, and I know we talked a little bit last time you were here because you came in uh, last week and, and paid us a visit. So, what is, what, what's kind of the deal with depression being at a high right now? Like, what are you kind of seeing in, in your practice and what are people really internally kind of dealing with? So definitely depression, anxiety, addiction, all those things are at an all-time high right now. I mean, if you think about it collectively as a society, we've been through so much over the last two years between environmental issues, obviously, the big COVID, and then um, political things, war, all those things going on. So I think that's definitely having an impact on people. Um, and then also just a lack of social connection. A lot of people are more isolated right now. A lot of people are continuing to work from home after COVID. So I think that that's contributing to depression and anxiety. And I think a lot of people are really distracted right now. So we have our phones, we have our devices, we have a lot of things that are meant to kind of improve the quality of our life but are actually adding more stress to our life mm -hmm. so i think that contributes to it as well okay so with with that being said and i mean i know we see it a lot of the times not only with you know luke and i've had our own journey combating depression as i'm sure you know you've had your own emotional like ups mm -hmm. and downs in your life Absolutely. so what are some you know when somebody comes to you and they are dealing with you know depression or maybe that's new for them or maybe they've been suffering from it for a long time what are some of the things that you're commonly seeing where people like address it, if that makes sense? So like if somebody like comes to you and they're like, I'm dealing with X, Y, and Z, and then you're like, okay, well you may, you know, maybe suffering from depression. And then what are kind of like the next steps? Because I feel like 
just in my personal opinion that there's a lot that you can kind of self-assess and self-diagnose, you know what I mean? And I feel like a lot of people try to do that in their own way, but I feel like a lot of times people aren't getting a lot of clarity and they're just kind of staying in the loophole with depression and they're not really making any progress, if that makes sense. So I know it can be hard to do. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, I feel like that's just such, such an important thing to talk about, which is one of the reasons like what I wanted to pick your brain on. Sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, of course the answer is going to depend on the person, but a lot of the things that I work with my clients on are thought work. So really learning to slow down and pay attention to the things they think about on a daily basis. A lot of times we get into thought loops or ways of thinking that are kind of automated and happening on their own that have been with us for a long time that are no longer serving us. So mm -hmm. that can be an important thing to explore. Um, our habits, our daily habits is another thing that becomes automated, but sometimes those habits served a purpose for us at one time to cope, but they're no longer serving that purpose for us and they're actually becoming destructive. So that can be tied to things like addictive behaviors or patterns around food, patterns around exercise, the way we communicate with our partners, how we spend our time. So really breaking down those things. And those are things that people can really access and start to work on right away. Um, and those kind of help us understand also if there's any underlying trauma or underlying issues that need to be addressed that are like kind of the origin or the core starting point of where those behaviors and thought patterns came from. And then mm -hmm. if we can really get to that, and if you think about it, like if a tree, like if we have a tree and we just cut it, but we don't really unroot it and take the root out, the tree's gonna grow back. Yeah. So addressing the behaviors is kind of cutting the tree, but then eventually the work will lead to uprooting that and kind of taking that root out so that we no longer have that tree growing back or the behaviors kind of continuing in the future. Do, do you think a lot of people that, that you work with have habits that don't serve them? 100%. I think we all have habits that don't all fact. serve us. Yes. Fact. So, I mean, like what, I mean, I know mine, you know, but so I know now, so I'm clear. So you're kind of talking, are you kind of talking about like thought patterns that repeat themselves because they become mm -hmm. automated? So are you kind of talking about like limiting beliefs or are you talking about self-sabotage or body image or like what, like what does that exactly mean? All the above, definitely. I think limiting beliefs, um, just the way that we talk to ourselves. A lot of times we kind of, if you think of ourselves like a computer, we get programmed by our society, by our culture, by our parents, by mm -hmm. our family of origin. So a lot of times we pick up ways of thinking and viewing the world from our family um, without ever really questioning that, right? Yeah. So those are the types of things that I'm talking about and really starting to slow down enough to pay attention to like, oh, I'm in a really bad mood today. And then using some self-reflectiveness and mindful skills to explore like, okay, well, what have I been thinking about today? How have I been talking to myself today? A lot mm -hmm. of my clients, and I think we're all guilty of this, we are our own worst enemies at times. And Fact. we speak really poorly of ourselves, really self-critical, a lot of perfectionistic thinking and things like that can really contribute to depression and anxiety mm -hmm. I, I mean, think that's something that I learned a lot is uh, like self-talk and how important it is where mm -hmm. people don't even realize it yeah. where like if you forget to do something or do something wrong how like quickly you'll say like I'm an idiot yeah. or something like that to yourself and mm -hmm. just like graining that into your head over years and years of doing it is a really hard cycle to break and people don't realize how detrimental it is to like your own image of yourself and just uh, like your mood Exactly. And it's interesting because I have children and I can observe it in my children. Sometimes they'll say those things out loud and I'm, no, <laughs> you know, you want to catch it then and be like, if we can't talk to ourselves that way, because that becomes how they relate with themselves as an adult. Yeah. Sure. I think a lot of it is ingrained in like childhood and people <laughs> don't realize it until later where you're like, I've been calling myself stupid since I was like 10 years old. And mm -hmm. then you realize nine years later, 20 years later that you've been doing it your whole life. Exactly. What do you think of the, the quote from Ed Milet where he says, as a kid, things are caught, not taught? A hundred percent. Because children are like sponges, really. When, you know, we, we don't really have a firm sense of self until we're seven years old. So those first seven years, we're really just absorbing from our environment who we are. Mm -hmm. We're getting programmed, in a sense, from our family. So if our parents are struggling with self-esteem, our parents are struggling with addiction, or they're not able to really be emotionally present to us, we're developing a sense of self that's not ideal, and that's what we're going to carry into the world until we really make an active choice to change it. Do you, do you think that that stays consistent from like childhood, teenage years to adult, or is it like more along the lines of, I guess... Do you know, there's like a, there's like a gap where like, you know, you leave or you go to college and you get to experience your own world, right? The world. And then, 
do you think it's consistent all the way through? Do you think it kind of comes back full circle? Like you graduate or you hit your twenties and you just wake up one day or your thirties or forties, whatever. And you're just like, Oh my God. Who am I? It really depends on the person and the experiences they have. Some of us have experiences that kind of shake us to our core and cause us to question who we are. You know, for some people that's illness, for some people it's major losses. So sometimes those things as traumatic as they are can be really beneficial because they cause us to step back and really question those things. Like I think a common example would be a funeral. Like we all know that after going to a funeral, we, we really reflect on life and who we are and how we're living and those types of things because it's a reminder to us that this is a temporary situation, right? Right. And I know, I know Luke and I follow, which I don't know if you do or not. Do you follow, um, Alex Ramosi at all? Mm-mm. So he has a, a saying that's well, dark. Well, I, I don't say it's a saying philosophy would be a better word where he basically, the way he overcomes not only for himself, but for some people about what, you know, judgment, what other people mm-hmm. think about them. And it's really morbid to think about, but it just goes with that funeral thing where he's like, listen, man, like, in three generations, like your kids and then your grandkids, right? Or even after that, he's like, nobody's going to know who you are. Yeah. And he's like, your name's going to get lost. So he was like, you're living your life based on other people's opinions or limiting beliefs or whatever else you want to plug in there. And he's like, dude, look, when you die, man, like you die. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and there's, you're, if you leave stuff on the table, you know what I mean? Or you've lived your life at 60% or less what for for who you know what i mean and i feel like it's morbid to think about and it is very kind of dark but i mean i think there's a lot of power to it you know what i mean for sure like i i do a lot of that work with my clients and having them really think about like okay let's say you know you find out that you're diagnosed with a major illness and that you're gonna you're gonna die what how do you want to spend your last years and what's keeping you from living that way now mm-hmm. you know even you mentioned ed Milet, he has a a thing that he believes is that when we get to heaven, we meet the version of ourselves yeah. that we would have been if we lived our life at, you know, hundred percent. And I think that that can be a really eye opening thing to think about. Like if you really didn't have those self limiting beliefs or you didn't hold yourself back and you really went a hundred percent for your goals, who mm. would you become? I, I did an exercise in Dean Graciosi's book, uh, millionaire success habits. It was really enlightening. And I talked to Liz about it and I was like, this is some, this is some real shit. So what he has you do is like the exercise he has you go through is write down like, um, where you're at now in your life. Right. And then in a year from now, what's the ideal version look like, like of your life and Mm -hmm. or business or family, you know, whatever. And then he has you relate it back to, okay, well, what's keeping you from doing it? So you isolate Mm -hmm. those events. And then he's like, okay, so what's the story attached to those negative things? And then create a new story, but this is the exercise of really to build that new story. He's like, all right, so imagine this, whether you believe universe, God, Buddha, whatever. When you die, it, it reminded me of kind of like um, like not only Ed's thing, but it was really deep. But he goes, when you die, and he calls it the conversation with God or you know whoever you believe in. But if you sit there and God or whoever asked you, right, why didn't you do what I put you here to do or why didn't you live your best life and then when you start telling yourself that old story it sounds literally dumb because then once you fill in that big blank or paragraph at the end he always has you repeat back he like and then your creator god whoever repeats back to you well now you're dead yeah so like you if you really visualize that and then you tell yourself that story and then at the bottom of it you put and now you're dead Mm -hmm. you know what i mean you're just like dude this is I mean, I was like, this is some deep shit. This is crazy to think about. You know what I mean? It's a great way to challenge those core beliefs. And we all have core beliefs and we have to really examine, like, are these beliefs serving us? Are they holding us back from living the potential that we're, we we have, Mm -hmm. what we're capable of? What would you say? Because like for someone who's in my position where I'm younger, it's Mm -hmm. kind of easy for me compared to like other people who have like a bunch of extra things attached to life like kids and like mortgages stuff like that where i don't really have any of the extra responsibilities so for me and like people my age and my generation like hypothetically it would i don't think a lot of them do but it makes sense for me to kind of just be like screw it and like Mm -hmm. i don't care what people think about me in public or what people think about what i do for work because i have a lot of things that i can i can mess up i have the ability to fail how do you what do you say for someone who comes to you if they're like 40 and they're having like midlife crisis type existential dread and they have like kids the whole everything but they're just like utterly miserable and can't get past that realm of self-doubt 
and like being stuck in a place that they don't want to in regards to like work or whatever or limiting themselves because in my position it's easy for me to not care about judgment and do what i want because i have the potential in the long run but for someone like that i feel like it's looking at it from a completely different scope a hundred percent and i really like the idea of like do we want to live a slow miserable life where we're like continuing with like a little bit of pain like that existential angst of knowing that we're not doing what we could do or do we want to rip the band-aid off and face the pain full on and move forward so i think a lot of people as they get older those become their excuses right um you know i have all these responsibilities i can't take this time for myself a lot of women i work with oh i have children i have a career i have all these things on my plate i can't take time for myself to really work on myself and it it really comes down to okay well is that story serving you because i think again that becomes a story that they tell themselves and is that story serving you or would can we reframe it and say if you took this time for yourself would you show up better as a mother would you show up better as a wife would you show up better in your career and a lot of times the answer to that is yes so it's really taking those stories and kind of flipping them around challenging those limiting beliefs and trying to find another way to look at them yeah because i feel like it could be the same for like both mental health and like life pathway and Mm -hmm. for like physical health and weight loss as well where it's easy for someone who's in their prime and youth to get in the best shape, but compared to someone who's older. See, but like, I think another caveat to your question too, man, is I think when you're younger, you just, and I'm not even that, I mean, you're, you're how old, Paula? I am 46. Um, so I'm 32, and then Luke is 22? 22. 22. So we have the whole spectrum here. Literally. I know, we got everyone. I think, I think a lot of it comes down to when you're younger, you don't really have a fear of failure. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't know. You I mean, I, I, I think, could be wrong. I think but. nowadays, generationally, it's different. Yeah. Where I feel like there's so much. Well, because of social media, we see so many people who are like young and rich, or people telling you like all these like rich schemes. Everyone wants to start a business. All these things like mm-hmm. that. So there's almost a information overload, like we talk about. But in regards to doing what you want with your life, where nowadays like college enrollment's down, so a lot of people are doing things on their own. Yeah, people are starting their own businesses, a lot of stuff like that. But no one really knows what to do. Like I have a lot of friends who have dropped out of college and are kind of just like they're twenty for the past probably three years, like twenty to twenty-three range, have kind of just been like, dude, I have no idea what I want to do with my life. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, especially with the way the world shut down and everything aren't really thinking big picture. So a lot of people just kind of, like you talked about, mm-hmm. live in like automated lives and just mm-hmm. get in the monotony of things. Mm-hmm. So I feel like for a lot of people who are my age, because of all the information overload and how there's so many different things you can do nowadays and you see so many people doing so many different things mm-hmm. that people are almost just like either afraid to take a chance or they're just like, I don't know what I want to do. And then they end up waiting seven years to take a chance and then it's too late. They're paralyzed, paralyzed by so many options and so many choices. I feel like that's a big problem. A hundred percent. Even with the, like, if you think about our nutrition, you know, we're talking about nutrition a little bit. There's so many new headlines that come out all the time about, well, don't eat this or eat this, or this is the diet you should follow. I think a lot of people get paralyzed because it's so confusing and overwhelming. They're like, I don't even know what to do. Mm -hmm. I know I want to lose weight or I know I want to change my body composition, but I'm overwhelmed by all these headlines like is this good is this bad i don't know yeah so uh, i'm glad you brought that up and i know i really want to tie this in so like obviously we all have done nutrition coaching right Mm -hmm. that's what we do but like i want to kind of take look at it through a different lens so you talked about like like the women you work with or Mm -hmm. you know men which i don't luke and i are big on like men's mental health right so you look at maybe how you look in the mirror Mm -hmm. right male female in your 40s 30s 20s you know whatever and you're just like man i'm not happy you know what i mean so like what would you say to someone because like the way that i look at it is to really get people to take action i saw a a video from uh my my previous business mentor yesterday that was really insightful where he said with coaches people are so busy putting out information like you said information overload Mm -hmm. But he's like, if somebody is unhappy with how they look, he said overweight, right? They, they know that internally. They know it. And you just telling them that a salad is healthier than a Big Mac is not helpful. You know what I'm saying? Because that's just basic information. But what he said was really interesting. He said, 
what you do as a coach is try to figure out and build and propose solutions. So he goes, how about, like I challenge you to do this, but I'm probably butchering this video, but this is the gist of it, is he talked about, instead of getting someone to understand that a salad is better than a Big Mac, get them to understand why they pick the Big Mac mm-hmm. over the salad. Yeah. And I was like, man, that's some deep shit. You know, but it goes back to like, so why do you think that, or in your opinion, I guess, I don't want to impose my opinion, but, and I'll get Luke's too. Why do you think it's so important to really love what you see in the mirror? Like whether it's looking better or losing weight, you know, whatever it may be. But I feel like it's almost like an anchor that people get in that monotony of, right? And it's just, that's, that becomes their identity. And they're never able to kind of either dig down to finding a why or stay with that motivation to actually achieve a goal. You know what I mean? I know Luke has lost a lot of weight too, so I'm sure he's got an opinion on it. But I think that is such an anchor for people that they just get used to that look every day and they may get used to that negative self-talk of like, well, this is just me. I'm just fat. I'm just overweight or, you know, whatever else you want to plug in there. And I think people don't understand that that story that they tell themselves, it goes back to what we were talking about a lot of that is tied into how they look and they just can't break through that barrier Mm -hmm. of understanding the importance to actually getting started, taking the first step. You know what I mean? hundred percent. Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with identity, like how we view ourselves. And it's so I, as a society, we train, (laughs) train our children through discipline a lot of times. And like then kind of old school parenting is shame based. And so a lot of us talk to ourselves that way. Right. So, looking in the mirror and being really self-critical about our bodies is not going to motivate us to change. Whereas if we can really work on finding a way to be more loving or even like our bodies and treating ourselves with respect and with kindness, taking care of ourselves is something that we love. I think that that can go a long way to really creating lasting changes, but that's a hard thing to do. I think doing the mental work to make those changes is the first piece that needs to happen. A lot of people want to focus on their behaviors, but that's not going to be lasting if they don't do the inside work first. Do you think that the two are married to where like if, if somebody can focus on changing behavior or thoughts, do you think that just in, in your professional opinion with what you've done with clients, do you think that feeling healthy or good is important to making that progress or do you think it because in in society today you know i know there's a lot of people that are just like you know we go through the body shaming thing right Mm -hmm. where people are like you know i i'm beautiful at my size you know whatever in self-empowerment and all that type of thing right but just in your opinion like do you do you do you see any improved success rate or is it just that mental shift of accepting how you look or do you see more progress with people like okay like i know i want to look a certain way or feel healthier or whatever it may be and i'm going to pursue that goal along with my behavior changes. Does does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, I think it does make sense. And I think it really comes down to what their motivation is. So if we're trying to change our body or change ourselves from a place of shame or wanting to be something different than we are, that's really not setting ourselves up for success. But if we're changing because we deserve to be healthy, we deserve to be happy, we want to take better care of ourselves, we want to show up for our children differently, whatever those types of goals are, mm-hmm. I think that that is going to be more sustaining and more likely to get results. Yeah. What's your opinion on it, Luke? Like when you lost, I know you're, you're going through kind of your second weight loss journey now with like a goal. It's not really a weight. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. Um, I think. You, well, I mean, do, do you think that it was from like a shame perspective? perspective like why you did it no i think like that might have been kind of like a beginning motivator that kind of got the ball rolling where i was kind of just like embarrassed and like fed up with how i looked Mm -hmm. but like thinking about it i think deep down i always had really high expectations for myself both like like in the physical regard because as a kid i was always doing sports i always like had the typical as the typical kid did like I wanted to do like professional sports and all these things and I got really into fitness at like 13 like I was watching like lifting videos and things like that like I used to watch like Ronnie Coleman Metroflex like when I was like 13 Mm -hmm. so it was really impressionable for me so I think when I finally reached the point where I was like almost 300 pounds I was kind of just like fed up initially and a little bit shameful but I think what kept me going was I was just I always had the vision in my head of myself looking like being fit and being well put together like physically and I think for me a lot of it uh, stemmed from mentally where I always had this vision where if I was able to because I started my fitness journey when my mental health was at like it's worse Mm -hmm. 
And I always had this idea where if I was well put together on the outside and like physically looked well, then people would think that like mentally inside that everything was like cool. So I think that was a big motivator for me was just to try to almost trick everyone. Um, and then it would just like make my mental health be fine. But I also just knew deep down that like I was, I deserve more essentially yeah. for out of the way that I looked and that I had the potential in me. And it was kind of just me being like, okay, come to quit playing around for the last six years like I have been and quit being fat and unhappy. Mm -hmm. So did that change having to like kind of face that and make those changes in your lifestyle? Did that kind of also spear on having to make mental health changes? Um, it made me more conscious of it, of mm -hmm. like what I was doing. This is also when like I started going to therapy. So it was like mm -hmm. an overall health journey, both okay. physically and mentally. Which is great. Yeah, but it definitely, doing them both at the same time, uh, kind of definitely helped where it was in a more of a routine and more mm -hmm. habit, which just overall made my life more positive. Mm -hmm. But it definitely just kind of got put together, I guess. Yeah. Do you think you could have been successful on the physical changes without the mental health changes? Um, prob no, long-term sustainability-wise, because eventually I did lose, like I lost a lot of weight and then uh, during COVID again, mm -hmm. like my mental health got really bad again. So mm -hmm. it was losing the weight didn't end up actually fixing anything, yeah. which like, I try to tell people all the time. It's like, if you're unhappy with your life and your job and a bunch of things and you change one aspect is not going to automatically change the other things. It made life more enjoyable, but like, it's kind of like putting a bandaid on like your arm being cut off and <laughs> exactly. eventually you're just going to have it all happen again. You're mm -hmm. going to have to face it. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I, and I know, well, you know too, Paula, but like even when I went, I didn't lose 82 pounds like Luke did, but even when I went through, you know, like my own weight loss of the last year from COVID, I was just, I think it, I agree. I think it's at some point to me, I think it started with shame. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm just honest. I just looked at the picture and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. But there's so many people who just avoid pictures. Yeah. And I think that, I think that is a powerful shame component. You know what I mean? And I think a lot, I think that's, it's just in my opinion, that's one of that, those barriers. You know what I mean? Cause like they feel shame, mm -hmm. but then there's no action on the other side. I feel like for a lot of people, like how I felt, like I said, I had this vision of myself where mm -hmm. I was like, I always thought I deserved better. I feel like a lot of people can create a false reality for themselves in the way that they look and everything. And seeing yourself from that third perspective mm -hmm. is like really weird. Like for me, I don't realize that I'm like a big dude where I'm like not small by any means, but I'll be with people who like I work with or something like that. And I'll be hanging out with people and they'll like comment on my size or something like that. And I'm like, I'm not that big. And then I'll see a picture of me with someone and I'm like, oh, I'm pretty big. Like, yeah. And then you, it's something you don't realize where if you convince yourself that you're like almost lying to yourself about how you look just for like comfort reasons, then you don't really realize it until you see that like group picture and you're like, I know how this person looks and I'm like bigger than them. Like, oh, this is an issue or something like that. Mm -hmm. Or it could be a good thing where it's like if you think that you're not as muscular or as fit as you are and you mm -hmm. see someone who you look up to and you look better than them in a group picture, it helps as well. 100%. It could be good or bad. Yeah, I yeah. agree with that. I mean, do you think that that has a lot to do with, and this kind of, I know we talked like off camera and off audio about it before we started recording. So that's kind of the, the big topic that we, we all wanted to talk about, right? So, and I'm glad Luke did that segue into it. So painting that self picture, right, that Luke just talked about. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that's tied to a victim mindset and like for people who don't know what that is from your professional opinion like what 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 is that like in someone's life like what does that look like you know what I mean yeah I think a victim mindset really is not taking accountability or responsibility for the things in your life that you actually can change so I think we all can struggle with that at different times in our life but a victim mindset would be oh I can't do this because I have to do this for my kids or I can't do this. Like my example with the working mom who mm -hmm. has all these responsibilities, you know, she kind of creates a victim mindset for herself and none of us want to be called a victim. You know, whenever this comes up in therapy, I have to really say like, no one wants to be called a victim. It Fact. feels horrible to be called a victim. But in a lot of ways we have to kind of face those parts of ourselves where we do make ourselves a victim so that we can take responsibility for making those changes. Like really no one is going to be able to do it for us. We have to do that for ourselves. So I, I think that's so important though, because I mean, 
all three of us and just people in general. I mean, I think at some point in your, everybody has dealt with it. Yes. You know what I mean? Like everybody has been like, whoa, is me. Why is this happening? Mm-hmm. You know, all these bad things like boom, 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 boom. You know what I mean? I, I, everybody has dealt with it. Yes. And I think people who say they haven't, I think they're just in some aspect lying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think at some point from childhood to adulthood, you've dealt with it multiple, multiple, multiple times. It's in just different segments or, you know, it's a consistent behavior pattern on it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, yeah. I feel like some people just never like face it and are able to realize that they're in a victim mindset. So they just never have to come to terms with it. Where a lot of people are just like constantly living in a victim mindset. So they are never able to realize and take a step back that they're living in a way that's not good for them. So but they have to be told essentially. So. That was my next question. So then how, which you can weigh in too, Paula. So then again, just to give people some, some real like application, right? Sure. Yeah. So how, how do you face it? I don't know. I think a lot of it is. For, or realize it, you know what yeah. I mean? For me, I realized it differently than most people would, but I think a lot of people, it would be just like self-reflection and like, obviously you'd have to be fed up enough to be like, I need to do something about this. And obviously like professional therapy helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, in that regard. But other than that, I'm not too sure, but that's why we have Paula here. (laughs) Um, from my perspective, I'd say it's taking hundred percent responsibility and accountability for our lives, which is hard to do for everyone. Um, so really looking at the things that we're struggling with, the circumstances and okay, how can I take responsibility for this? How can I take accountability for this? Sometimes it might be, it might come down to like, let's say for an example, like you get in a car accident. Um, you maybe you have to change how you think about it. Like you might catch yourself in a victim mindset of like, why does this happen to me? You know, you might be going down those tapes and really stopping that and being like, okay, well maybe this happened for a reason, or maybe something good is going to come from this, or maybe this happened to prevent something worse from happening, or at the very least, like trying to find a way to look at it differently. So really sometimes our victim mindset really comes down to really taking control of what we can control. And sometimes that's just our thoughts. Sometimes the very, the only thing we have control over is how we think about something. So do you think that having a victim mindset directly correlates to like a scarcity mindset? hundred percent. So what's, and I'm just curious, this is just for me. So what's kind of the similarity between the two? Are they the same or does one affect the other? Um, I think a scarcity mindset really limits us because it creates, I think for a lot of people, a sense of panic or there's not enough or I'm not going to be able to have what I need to have to achieve my goals. And I really, I think I first, maybe you can clarify what you mean by a scarcity mindset. So like for just for me, cause again, I, I just said the questions for me. So there's been so many times in, in business and life that I've had a mindset to where I'm like, okay, it could be a litany of things. It could be you know, uh, at one point in my life, you know, my car got repossessed, you know, power got shut off, eviction notices on the door, terrible scarcity mindset. And I, I never took action to do anything. So it was always, I'm never going to be able to pay the bills or have the money or, you know, all the things. Right. And then anymore, as you know, our business has grown, it comes down to, okay, well, I want to do this new endeavor. Like right now, like, you know, like I'm, I wrote the first edition mm-hmm. of the book right now. I'm writing a second that's going to go to a publisher. So it's just like, is this going to be enough? Like, is this even going to do good? Do people even care? You know, you know what I mean? Like, not only that, so it's not necessarily like monetary tied. Yes. I think now it's more so for me, you know, how I can help people and make an impact. But still, there's definitely limiting beliefs there. So mm-hmm. I think versus an abundance mindset would be like, I need to do all that I can because this is going to help thousands or however many people, right? And so I'm almost obligated to do it, right? And be able to give this these resources out to people or these courses or whatever, right? But then there's another side that's just like, well, if you do it, you know, somebody might not like it. You know what I mean? Somebody might say something or, you know, it might not work. Yeah. It may just fall flat on its face. And so to me, that's how I personally view it. A hundred percent. So that makes a lot of sense. So I think with my clients, we do a lot of, again, a lot of thought work. And I really encourage my clients and it's going to sound strange, but there's a lot of different psychologies that they like kind of work with this method, but naming the different voices in our head, right? Mm-hmm. So fear sounds like it has a loud voice in your head. And that, oh, yeah. that fear voice is the that voice that's kind of driving the scarcity. Yeah. So really speaking back to that fear voice and choosing not necessarily to listen to that voice or give it, not letting it steer the bus, so to speak, but yeah. really choosing to let something else maybe 
um, a more confident version of you steer the bus and kind of mm -hmm. talk back to that fear voice. So really just paying attention to that and not really believing necessarily the voices in our head, but really choosing who we respond to and who we choose to give authority over our choices. I think that's the hardest part because like in Dean's book, he calls it the hero and the villain, mm -hmm. right? So I think that's the hardest part, which I know people, a lot of people, even for Luke, right? And I'm sure you do your own or what you give clients, but there's so much thought work and repetitive daily things that I have 100%. to do. You know what I mean? That a lot of people don't see because it's, we don't talk about it a lot. But I mean, like even the story exercise, like I read myself that every morning and every night, mm -hmm. right? In order to instill it in my brain, just to make it the subconscious thought, right? Because I... I think everybody, but I'm open. Like, I still struggle with it. You know what I mean? Sure. Because you've been thinking the same way, I mean, for 30 years, right? So mm -hmm. for 30 years, you've been buying into, you've let that scarcity voice, whatever you yeah. want to name it, mm -hmm. kind of have a lot of authority in your head. So to change that and to really challenge their role in your life is going to take time and take re repetition. Think of it like um, driving, like you create a rut in your head. So you've kind of created a rut yeah. with that scarcity rut. It's pretty well, well worn in your that head. Book he literally talks about the same thing. He talks about just going like a quarter inch to the right yes. to eventually where you're far enough away from that original rut. You know what I mean? Like yeah. over time. So heard, it's like a sledding analogy that's like that. When mm -hmm. you're sledding downhill and there's like a path that everyone's sled on or you've done it before, you're mm -hmm. going to slide into that one. Do but you, it's harder to make I mean, your own. I mean, I, I know I'm pretty open. But do you, I mean, man, do you struggle with any of that stuff? Whether it's scarcity, abundance, limiting beliefs? Oh, yeah, like definitely like not necessarily limiting beliefs, but definitely like scarcity mindset to a degree where just like you won't realize it and then you're just thinking and like just falling back into like the rut and the pattern over like mm -hmm. periods of time and there's definitely better periods where like mentally the thought process is better but yeah i definitely have dealt with it in the past and still deal with it i think that confidence plays a huge factor in it too you know what i mean and having like, and that's kind of the next question I wanted to ask you, because I know it can sound like wishy-washy, you know what I mean? But what, whether it's somebody, like Luke said, you know, in their 20s, wants to start a business, right? And they're just like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. So like they're paralyzed or somebody like me who, you know, we, I've got Liz and I've got the kids and the mm -hmm. business. So it's like, okay, like, you know, I've got my own thing, you know, beliefs. You have your own with your family and your businesses and Jared. And it's just like, to me, it's, why is it so important for someone to understand like why they want to accomplish something? And cause I feel like a lot of people miss this boat because I think a lot of the times they like go superficial, mm -hmm. but they never get lower and like, like, uh, Oh my God. Uh, Dean has an exercise from Dan Sullivan, mm -hmm. right? Uh, one of his business mentors, he calls it like seven levels deep, right? Just ask yourself why oh, seven yeah. times mm -hmm. of the previous question. And I think that was so powerful for me to even be able to understand like why do you even you can do it with really any goal you know what i mean but like why do you want to do this and i feel like you know in that exercise they break down and like five levels you're speaking from your head and then at some point around you know statistically level five level six somewhere in there you're going to switch from brain to heart mm -hmm. and you're going to it basically one to five is like logical yeah right and then eventually it switches to emotional. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of people don't even go two levels deep, let alone seven. So like, why, why is that so important? Whether you wanted like Luke, somebody his age wanted to start a business or get in shape or whatever, get a promotion, you know, whatever the goal may be. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. It's super important to have a really good why because at some point in the journey towards our goals, we're going to get very uncomfortable. You know, I, I love the thermostat analogy of the idea that, you know, let's say my thermostat of comfort is set at 72 and that's where I'm comfortable, but my goal forces me to get up to an 80, you know, that's going to be really uncomfortable for me to go from 72 to 80. And a lot of people bail out like at 73, 74, 75, because they get uncomfortable. But if I have a really clearly defined why, that serves as almost an anchor for me to keep me going so that mm -hmm. I can get to 80 and eventually stay at 80 long enough where that becomes my new my new 72 because my new temperature Ed Milet talks about the lot in his book the power mm -hmm. of one more like that's a really he loves that analogy yeah I think it's so true though you know what I mean if you I, I don't think people like being uncomfortable or if they got that superficial why when that uncomfortability happens they're just, it's just like no, nah, I'm good yeah they're out and it I think again that's human nature we want to be comfortable we want to survive but we really have to constantly be challenging our comfort zone and really coming to a place where being uncomfortable becomes our new normal that's a complete paradigm shift and if you really want to be super successful and achieve big goals 
you're going to really have to get uncomfortable and be comfortable with being uncomfortable. I love that quote. That's mm-hmm. what my old high school strength coach used to say that. And mm-hmm. that's like one of the first quotes that ever stuck in my head was you got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. So do you think, that. do you think that's like, and I'm curious on Luke's opinion too. Do you think, cause like we're all different age brackets, right? So like, do you think that that's maybe that's part of the rut? Like oh, comfortability creates the rut? A hundred percent. And I think some people, I mean, it's not, I think some people have a higher tolerance for discomfort than other, but if you've come from a background with a lot of trauma or things like that, that have happened to you, being uncomfortable is going to be more uncomfortable than it would be for someone that had a more ideal childhood. So taking that into consideration, and that's what makes therapy and really doing the mental health work more important is because your tolerance for discomfort might be the bar for that might be set lower because you've been through trauma or because you've had difficult experiences that have made being uncomfortable really difficult for you. I mean, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, I feel like for people my age, it's like fresh out of college is like you finally get like your first big boy or big girl job. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people get like comfortable with making like a decent salary Mm -hmm. so people like start spending more money people are able to do more things and live a little more freely but i think in years like to come in like two three years everyone that well is kind of going to run dry for a lot of people Mm -hmm. but then so many people are going to be so used to not progressing and that's when i feel like a lot of people start to get unhappy where a lot of people i know have graduated they have like their first job they kind of hate it already and i know a lot of people who like they hate their job and they're like four months into it but it's like the big spiel with like the money that they're making mm-hmm. is worth more than like their freedom and their happiness that they have uh potentially by looking for something else or doing something on their own that they would more that they would like to do more of yeah the golden handcuffs right they yeah. get those golden handcuffs on and then they oh get i love that stuck. Now. that's that's a, that's so true <laughs> stuck so what bed. what are what are the golden handcuffs what the, are they i think the golden handcuffs is again you get those responsibilities kind of adjusting like loose example of you get comfortable with a certain income or you have really good benefits at your job or whatever those things are um that kind of keep you locked into that fear thinking we're talking about fear thinking it kind of keeps you locked into that fear voice like if i make these changes or take these risks i could potentially lose all these golden benefits that come from the things that i have right now so really being able to challenge that and set yourself up for success i mean obviously not taking crazy risks, but thinking mm. things through and kind of coming up with a plan and having a strategy can kind of get you out of that. What do you think of, sorry, Luke, you can go ahead. Which I'm, it might, I don't know if this is related or not, but I feel like that's a lot of things that people think about where not, I think a lot of us think of us three, at least thinking like business type mindsets and regards to that. But I think it's hard for us to shift to someone who doesn't think of like wanting to own their own business or do yeah. their own like independent yeah. private practice. Mm. But I feel for um, like a lot of people, since we talked about like goals and like seven levels deep, mm-hmm. but I feel um, like finding out that superficial adverse like, like deeper meaning for why you wanna do something, it's hard for a lot of people to not think about the superficial. But then when they find that deeper meaning, it almost allows for them where, I know people who would do what they love and make $30,000 a year and are 10 times happier than people who hate their life, mm-hmm. have no free time, but they make six figures. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like finding out your why and why you love doing something that intrinsic motivation compared to extrinsic Fact. is super huge for a lot of people. And I think when a lot of people find that out is when whatever they're doing, whether it's like running a business or doing a sport or something like that, and you find out your why beyond the surface level is when the game really starts to change and a lot of people start, that's when you start seeing people just getting better and better and better and better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. True. So what I was, what I was going to ask Paula is what do you think about, which I know it's not his concept, but he talks about it a lot. What do you think about Tony Robbins concept of like burn the ships? I don't know what that is. You have to tell me. So like, like when, so when Cortez landed, right. And he wanted to conquer, obviously, uh, I'm going to butcher this. Was it, was it, is it Aztecs or Incans? Incans. I don't know. Not a history buff. The following. Okay, I got you. So anyway, he burned his ships, uh-huh. right? So he burned his ships because the men knew they were not going home. Yeah. So he literally lit them on fire, right? And people were like, oh my God, we're here. You know what I mean? 
So that's like the military analogy. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, like Tony Robbins talks about it a lot in life where he's like, you know, if you want to have a clear direction, like Luke talked about people his age, maybe wanting to do a business or wanting to get their promotion or they're not happy at their job, get in shape, you lose weight. You know, it doesn't matter, right? Whatever it is. You know, he's like, yo, you, you have plan A, burn the ships. This is what you got. Yeah. And just percentage wise, he's like, you're either going to sink or swim. Mm-hmm. And it almost forces you to look in the mirror and really address some of those limiting beliefs and the, and that fear mindset or that fear voice, because you don't, you don't have another another option. option. No, I think that that's great. I love that analogy. And I think that's a great way to approach it. I know it's probably not going to be for everyone. That's true. Um, but I really believe, I mean, to be a little bit woo woo, I believe that we're all wired to grow like human nature. We have in us a desire to grow as a person. And so some people are going to channel that into their business. Some people are going to channel that into fitness goals. Some people channel it into doing like marathons or Spartan races or bodybuilding competitions, but it's human nature to want to pursue big goals and to grow. So finding an outlet for that, I think is super important. But if we ignore that, then we end up really unhappy. That becomes kind of that nagging voice that you're talking about with a lot of people your age where they get kind of locked into something where they're not growing anymore. And uh, like I said, choosing the slow pain of like a daily miserable existence or choosing the acute pain of burning the ships and yeah. really just going for it. Mm-hmm. I feel like for a lot of people, it's, it's I think, uh, not necessarily going for like monumental goals like owning a six-figure business mm-hmm. or something like that or like becoming a professional athlete, but you could be like an IT guy who on the side you want to run in like the Boston Marathon, but having exactly. some extreme goal right. like that, to that's, chase. yeah, where it's, you live a normal life, but it doesn't completely consume and develop your uh, whole personality and everything is something where it's the balance act where a lot of people are extremely one-sided and want to like business be the best of the best and other people are okay with doing both things where mm-hmm. I think a lot of people view it in the extremes of like, you own a business and you do six figures or you live in a van and your life sucks where it's mm-hmm. the middle ground I feel like is a, a place where a lot of people need to look at and not look at the extremes where mm-hmm. it's okay to not be multi-millionaire extremely successful as mm-hmm. long as you're happy with what you're doing exactly. yeah I feel like I feel like having a off I don't want to say a, an off goal but a goal that's not associated with something like that also helps break that pattern Mm-hmm. associated with what like you said like the it guy who wants to run a marathon like i think having that in his life helps break that monotony pattern oh right? yeah of, you know what i mean or it could be whatever but having yeah. that i think is so just my opinion is so important to help break that pattern to where it kind of keeps you out of that rut because it you know when you leave you know you still have something else that still gives you kind of that edge or that that other pursuit or fulfillment or whatever it gives you but i just think I just, again, my opinion that a lot of people just don't, I think a lot of people don't have them. I think, I mean, I think it's funny because we're basically describing hobbies right now Yeah, where it's like a lot of people don't have hobbies, which is interesting. Like a lot of people go to work, come home, put on Netflix, Mm -hmm. which I think is funny to step back and realize that like, we're talking about hobbies, like some marathon runners, it's their hobby, stuff Mm -hmm. like that, where I think that's funny that I just realized that you're not, you're right. And I think it kind of goes back to Gage, you mentioned confidence. And a lot of people think that they need to be confident before they can do these big, scary things. But actually, the process of doing the big, scary things is what gives us confidence. So if our big, scary thing is running a marathon, maybe we achieve that goal and that gives us a little notch up on our confidence. And maybe that propels us to starting our own business or taking on another big goal. But that's how we really build our confidence yes. is through the doing confidence is through the process we don't mm-hmm. it's not you know I, th- I mean i love affirmations i love all that kind of stuff but you know saying i can do it in the mirror a million times a day is not going to achieve the same results as challenging myself and really going for those goals mm-hmm. i completely agree with that because like i never wanted to do any of my own independent stuff or anything like that until i lost like weight initially and mm-hmm. i was like I did this, which a lot of people never do in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. It's like if I try to do anything, I can, yeah, I can exactly. achieve it. Where it's, I've done a hard thing. It's like being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Exactly. And you just build on the confidence scale and continuously increase it. So yeah. next time you're in an uncomfortable situation, you remind yourself, hey, I lost all this weight. I did that. I can do yeah. this, right? You're like, this is easy compared yeah. to stuff like that. And mm-hmm. it's just people who are more comfortable, like being under fire mm-hmm. and are 
calm in those situations and able to keep going. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's like, and Dean, Dean talks about it in that book too. I, I read a lot. Sorry, guys. You're probably like, Jesus Christ, this dude is a nerd. But anyway, um, he, he actually breaks down confidence into four C's. He calls it, uh, the first C is courage. Mm-hmm. Second one is commitment. Mm-hmm. Third one is capability. And then the fourth one actually is confidence. So he goes, yeah. a lot of people don't understand there's three C's before you hit confidence. Yeah, before you even get there. Yeah. Exactly. And I think it's the same thing in the process, right? Having the courage to take an action to do something, whatever that is, right? Mm-hmm. Or whatever goal you want to pursue. Having the commitment to do it. And we talked about like New Year's resolutions, right? Now's yes. about the time when people kind of like jump and ship on their New Year's resolutions right. if they haven't already, if, right? Right. And I, that's the second one. They may have had the courage to start, mm-hmm. right? But then they didn't have the commitment or, you know, anchor that commitment in something, right? Mm-hmm. And then the third one, capabilities. Yeah. Like, do you have the capability to actually accomplish this? Yeah. You know what I mean? And you may have to learn a skill. Or, you know, like Luke said, you, you may have to do, you may have to do something or like you said, out of your comfort zone. Yeah, you might have to pivot, you yeah. know, life might throw you a curveball, you might have to pivot, but that doesn't mean we throw in the towel. No, I, I completely agree. Um, we've covered a lot today. <laughs> we, <laughs> we were all over the place today. No, I mean, just seriously, I mean, we, I know Luke and I appreciate you being on Paula and I think My you pleasure. gave, you gave a lot of a lot of really good insight from a professional mm-hmm. opinion rather than Luke and I just kind of talking about it, but I mean, I, I appreciate it. Like, you're you're awesome. You're yeah, awesome. my pleasure. It was fun. I had a great time, and I appreciate what you guys are doing. And the, you guys are inspiring a lot of people with the podcast and with your program. So I'm glad to glad to hop out and be a part of it. Of course. And then and I got to ask, hash, hashtag shameless plug. So if somebody wanted to hire you as a therapist or go to your – I know we mentioned your website. Your company's called Joyfully Embodied, mm-hmm. right? Joyfullyembodied.com. Yeah. So – kind of real quick like walk them through that process they're like paula's awesome i want to work with paula <laughs> yeah no problem yeah so you can find my website at joyfully embodied or you can just even google paula anderson and i'll come up um uh, you know i you can apply you just, you just you even reach out to me give me a call shoot me an email whatever you feel comfortable with if you have questions i'm more than happy to help with that and we can get you started and if you're interested in equine therapy get you started with that as well for sure we can do that luke you got anything buddy but no, i don't really have anything else to add on all right guys so what i'll do is i will put paula's website uh, down in the description so you'll just be able to click on it it'll take you right to it you can you know reach out to her give her a call give her a message uh the other thing that i want to go ahead and ask you guys to do we appreciate all support for the podcast um if you could just go up and leave a review for us. Uh, it takes less than a couple seconds. So go ahead and do that. It actually helps our podcast get out to a lot of people. It puts it on the top of their list. So we hope you guys enjoy this. And other than that, we'll see you next time.